Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Welcome to Branch Life Church's Seven Days That Changed the World series. This is a series I'm very excited about because it's all about the seven days from Jesus entering Jerusalem to when he died and rose again. These seven days have transformed the world as we know it. And if you join us on this journey, it can transform you too. So we are glad that you're here. We hope that you'll stay to the end. We've got some great information to share with you. And our prayer is that this series will be an encouragement to you. Don't forget to fill out that online connection card before you leave. And again, we're glad you're here. journey through seven days that change the world. At the start of a new series, this is a great time to invite ever, uh, other people to jump in, to let people know what we're talking about, what you're excited about. You can share this post online if you're watching on the live stream. You can even jump on your phones right now and share it if you would like to. Uh, this is going to be a life-changing journey. It's already been a life-changing journey for so many millions and millions of people, and it can be a life-changing journey for you. We're going to travel between now and Easter, which is about an eight-week time period, through seven days that change the world. If I would tweak the title just a little bit, I might change the title to this, Seven Days That Saved the World. And not only can this journey save the entire world, it has a powerful impact on your life. We want to remind ourselves what happened during these seven days, why it matters, where the power can be found to see the story and the movement of Jesus in this significant week before his death and resurrection. Seven days that changed the world. These seven days can change your life too. So as we look at this series, we want to encourage you to constantly throughout these uh, eight-week period to be in prayer. God, how can you change me? How can you grow me? What can you show me? What can you remind me? What can you teach me? Maybe you're in the beginning of your spiritual journey and you're just, just exploring the possibility of God. Maybe your prayer is, God, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself. I want to hear your voice. I want to know that you're real. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've traveled through the events of this Passion Week before. Maybe it's something that you want to reconnect with the power that God has, to be re-energized and see it with a fresh and a new eyes. Let this change you no matter where you are. My prayer is that this would cause me to grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus, that it would strengthen my connection with Christ, 
And my prayer is the same for our church and for all of those who connect. Whether you're alive in the series or watching the rebroadcast, we have been praying for you that this would be a blessing to you. So we're jumping in today with day number one. It's going to go through the rest of the book of Matthew. It's going to take us all the way up to Easter. Day number one was a powerful day, an interesting start to the week, and how things are going to change throughout this week. But day number one, we're titling this. It's simply the greatest worship service ever, really of all time. Do you remember some spectacular celebrations that you were a part of? You know, if you're here from the, uh, if you've been watching the Super Bowl, you understand we want to send our congratulations out to the LA Rams. They won the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago, and sure enough, do you know what they did? They threw a party. They threw a celebration. I felt like it wasn't fair, because when the Eagles won the celebration, it was like still February in Philadelphia, which is cold. And so if you go to have a, a go out to Philly, you're going to be outside all day. You've got to wear coats and hats and gloves. It's hard to clap with gloves on. But over in L.A., man, they were like flip-flops, shorts, you know. They had to wear sunglasses and, and visors, and they just were having an incredible celebration. They were having one of the greatest celebrations in that history of that city. And the ticker tape parade was happening, and the, and the juice was flowing, and everyone was shouting, and now everybody loved each other. Democrats and Republicans didn't matter. They loved each other because the Rams won. Another celebration that was big for our generations, the generation that came before me in particular, was the end of World War II. Remember that one where they're kissing strangers on the street in, in Times Square? And they threw this party that, that not only was happening in New York, but the same party when the war was over was happening around the world because it was a world war. And it had ended, and now we can celebrate, and, and things can get back to normal, and we are out of danger, and evil has been defeated, right? And so they threw this incredible celebration. Day number one in the city of Jerusalem, back in the day of Jesus, was that kind of celebration for the entire city, the capital of Israel, the entire nation celebrated like they had never celebrated before. The kind of celebration that was held in Jerusalem in this, in this day, on this Monday of the seven days that changed the world, was a celebration that would have been reserved for like Alexander the Great or some incredible Roman emperor that had just gone out and conquered a great swath of land or a mighty people. And they came back to the capital with all of their military in tow and they did the parade down the street and the people would have been cheering. It was crazy. But this celebration in that same vein was held for Jesus who was riding on a donkey. Yet they celebrated like he was a, a, a conquering general. They celebrated like he was a, a king that was arriving uh, for the first time. They, they cheered. They threw out blessings to him. They had the ticker tape parade. They were kissing strangers in the street. It was that kind of massive celebration. And when Jesus came down the street and everybody in the nation turned their attention towards him and they celebrated him, you could even say that they worshipped him in that moment. It was a little slice, a little peak of heaven on earth where Jesus is recognized by everyone 
as king. Where Jesus deserves our full attention, our full celebration, where he deserves all the praise, where he deserves the worship, where he deserves for us to bow down to him and call him holy and Lord and master and mighty one and savior and king. That's what this moment presents. And when when those of us who know Jesus, when we end up in new heaven and new earth where Jesus is ruling and reigning in this entire world. This celebration that happened in Jerusalem thousands of years ago will pale in comparison to what we'll see in heaven, yet this was the greatest worship service they had ever seen. We try to recreate this slightly on Sunday mornings. It's why we call this gathering of the church a worship service. We're coming to celebrate Jesus. We're coming to worship a king, and he deserves it, and he owns it. And so when we gather together and worship, it's just a little piece of heaven on earth where Jesus is ruling and reigning in all of our lives. So let's open our Bibles, and let's dive in. If you believe believe it or not, we're starting Matthew chapter 21. In eight weeks, we are going to be done with the book of Matthew. So if you have your journals, we're we're starting in page 110. We'll be in pages 110 and 112 today. If you're watching online and you fill out the connection card, let us know that you want one of these journals. We will send these to you if you don't have one yet uh, as our gift to you. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1, here's the story of day one of seven days that changed the world. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and they came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is going to play an important role over the next several chapters. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. So a mama donkey and the baby donkey. Untie them. Bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord, a.k.a. the king, needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, quote, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put, them, they put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their uh, coats on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and laid them before him. And they followed him and were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Of Galilee. God, as we unpack this series, as we jump into day one today, Lord, would you use it to transform our lives today? God, would we worship you with a little bit more passion? God, would you show us what it means to follow you and to shout Hosanna to the King of Kings? In your precious name we pray. Amen. So here's this weird story, right? This beginning of Passion Week, day one, the celebration, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and it can be summed up with these three strange characters that show up in the story. First of all, there's donkeys in the story, right? So, okay, that's weird. Uh, He's going to ride in on a donkey, like Aladdin came in on an elephant, and Jesus is coming in on a donkey? Like, I don't understand. If, If you're the prince of peace, if you're the king of the world, why are you riding on a donkey? He was representing himself as king. 
And so he was entering in a kingly way, and we're going to talk about the significance of that in a moment. He was actually uh, symbolically putting a crown on his head in this moment. And then the people threw their coats and palm leaves down, right? So Palm Sunday, they threw their palm leaves down in front of Jesus so that as he paraded through the streets, he walked on their coats, he walked on their branches. They, they set basically what the equivalent of our red carpet out for Jesus. And they laid it out for him. Why these three symbols? Why is this the story and did this all pan out? We want to understand the significance of this on day one of Jesus' journey to the cross and resurrection. And there's a couple of reasons. The first one is this is presenting King Jesus. This entire story is the beginning of a presentation. If you look at it, it said, why, why did this happen? Why the donkey? Why the palm leaves? This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go to Zechariah 9.9, you will see this quote. And I know a lot of us weren't like in Zechariah 9.9 uh, last, last, last night. It's, there's Zephaniah and Zechariah. We can get them confused in the Old Testament. But in, Ze- in Zechariah, the prophet had stated that this is going to happen. Rejoice, O Zion. Uh, let the people know that the king is here and he will be riding uh, the king has come and will be riding on a donkey. It's, it's prophecy that's being fulfilled. And in this moment, what's happening theologically and realistically is, is this was the moment where Jesus revealed himself. You know, when Aladdin showed up in Agrabah, he came in on the elephant, right? The other reverse to that is the story of Jasmine. I know Disney is helping us out this morning. Jasmine, who was the princess was hiding on the streets of Agrabah. She had her cloak around her. She didn't want anyone to see her fancy clothes. She just wanted to blend in. And in the book of Matthew, he starts in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, reintroducing us to Jesus. He tells us who Jesus is, the fulfiller of prophecy, the miracle worker, the teacher. And then we see Jesus. We learn about him. He's been baptized by God. This is my, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He starts his ministry. He's teaching. He gives us parables, the Sermon on the Mount. He starts doing these incredible miracles. He gathers his disciples and his followers. And now he comes up to this moment. This is a very significant moment. You see, until this moment, when Jesus healed somebody, when he raised somebody from the dead, when he cleansed somebody from leprosy or he caused someone to see, he often said something like, go from here and don't tell anybody. Why did he do that? Why, why did he over and over again say, don't tell anybody? And he would often, you'd often hear the phrase, don't tell anyone until the time is right. Well, what are you waiting for? This is what he was waiting for. This was the moment where Jesus, like Jasmine, was going to drop her cloak, step out, and reveal that she was the princess. Listen to me. I'm ja- He's revealing that he is the Messiah, that he is the king. He had hinted at it. He had talked to his disciples about it. He had been healing people all along the way. There was a stirring. There was a following. There was an undercurrent. Have you heard about Jesus? He might be the one. He may be the Messiah. He's, he's said as much, but in this moment, he is now making a public declaration that the king of the world has arrived and he's doing it by riding on a donkey symbolically putting on his crown and being hailed by palm leaves and palm branches you see when jesus 
rides through the streets of Jerusalem, the capital city. He's riding through as first the prophesied king. This is the guy that we have been talking about. This is the guy that we have been learning about all of our lives, the little Jewish kids were saying. This is the guy that's talked about as the son of David. This is the guy that is the the royal heir. This is the Messiah of the world. And there are so many prophecies about this guy, this Messiah, this King, this Lord, and this Savior. Do you know that there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus himself fulfills? Where he was going to be born, how he was going to enter Jerusalem, uh, the star that is announcing his birth, and over and over and over again, Matthew's been showing us all through the story of Jesus, prophecy fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled. How could something thousands of years ago spread over uh, thousands of years being prophesied by thousands of different prophets all be fulfilled in one person? What are the chances? Nobody could plan it. Nobody could fake it. Nobody could forge it. It is so overwhelming the amount of prophecies that Jesus fulfills, that he's got to be the one that they're talking about. Now, we can get a little kind of like antsy about prophecy, right? You should not be the person that's calling the the psychics on the line, on the telephone, and asking them to tell you your future. That's that's bogus, right? You, You look at all the movies and all the fictional stories out there, and they talk about the prophecies being fulfilled, and and it gets kind of weird and 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 spooky and and dark and so when we hear prophecy fulfilled we can kind of interpret it that way we can feel like oh it's some kind of fictional made-up story that's just sensational and there's no way that that could ever happen no that this where do you think they got the idea all these stories this is this is god revealing himself and so that nobody would be confused so that nobody would think it was just an accident, so nobody would actually even be surprised, Jesus had laid out thousands of years, hundreds of prophecies that only would be fulfilled by him. And in day one of seven days that changed the world, the first thing Jesus does is fulfill another prophecy, specifically from from Zechariah 9.9. Shout it. Shout it to the people of Zion. Their king has arrived, and he will be riding on a donkey. And Jesus is celebrated as the prophesied king. The second thing that happens in this moment is Jesus is celebrated as as a humble king. He is a different kind of king. In Matthew chapter 11, you can go back in your journals or you can turn back to it. Matthew chapter 11, page 60 on your journals. We, for one of the only times in scripture, we hear God describe himself, right? He 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 describes his own heart. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, it says this. uh, Well, I'll start in 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, and here's how he describes himself, gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find with me rest for your souls. The type of king that Jesus is, the type of God that, that we have, that we follow, is a God who at his very heart is gentle and lowly. So one of the reasons Jesus rides in on a donkey, technically on the baby of a donkey, or on a baby donkey with the mom there, is to demonstrate his humility as an approachable, accessible king. Lowly doesn't mean cheap. 
Lowly doesn't mean not that powerful. Lowly doesn't mean scraping the bottom of the barrel and we got stuck with this guy. Lowly means accessible to everyone. You can enter my presence. You can come into the conversation. You are welcome at my home. You are invited to be my friend. Everyone is able to access me. Now, kings and rulers back in Bible times, they were not approachable. Remember Queen Esther? She had to beg for her own life to enter the presence of the king who was her husband. And she knew coming into his throne room could mean that she would be executed. Why? Because he wasn't lowly. He, he, he was up on a pedestal. He was, he was separate from everyone else. He was above and, and, and unapproachable, even to the point of death if you interrupted him. Jesus is the exact opposite. He's humble as he walks in to this city. The blind, the prostitutes, the poor, the, the, the homeless, those without clothes and without food, those with criminal backgrounds, the orphans, and yes, the business owners, the street merchants, the tax collectors, the fishermen, the shepherds, the elite. The middle class, all could be accepted into the presence of this Jesus. What Jesus is demonstrating is that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what's in your past, no matter who your parents were, no matter what your journey has been to this point, that you can access the presence of God that you can enter into the presence of Jesus, that you can have a personal relationship. In other words, if we change the song a little bit, you don't have to worry about having friends in low places because you can have a friend in high places. You can be the friend of Jesus. You can be his son. You can be his daughter. You can be elevated to prince and princess because that's the kind of king that Jesus is. So he enters on a donkey. The third thing that is happening in this moment, and the reason there's a donkey, a crown, and a palm leaf all in one moment is Jesus is representing himself as the upside-down king. He's representing himself as the upside-down king, and this goes directly back to what we talked about yesterday, uh, last Sunday. Last Sunday, when we talked about greatness. Jesus, right before he does this, right before he enters in as the king of the world, he teaches us about greatness. And remember, he said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In other words, when I'm going to be a king, I'm not coming to be served by the masses. I'm coming to serve the masses. And by the way, that's greatness. And the only way to be great, we learned this last week, the only way to be great, the only path to greatness is service. So here's the equation, you fill in the blanks, to be a great whatever, serve your fill in the blanks. So to be a great husband, serve your wife, that's the equation. To be a great business, serve your customer, that's the equation. To be a great church, serve your community, that's, that's how it works. To be a, a great kid, serve your parents. To be a great parent, serve your kids. And I hope this last week you, you started putting that into practice as you were reminding of, reminded of it. If you're an employee, you want to be a great employee, serve your boss. Vice versa, boss, serve your employee. You want to be a great teammate, serve your coach, serve your team. You want to be a great coach, serve your players. Right? 
And so Jesus is saying, if, if I'm going to be a great king, I'm going to serve my people. He's an upside-down king. He's not coming to be propped up. He's coming to prop up others. This is why he saves the world. Because he's not coming for himself. He's coming for you. He's coming to serve you. He's coming to save you. He's coming to help you. He's coming to give you life and hope and peace. He's coming to give you abundant life and then life eternal. And so he's an upside down king because he came not to be served but to serve. And so we follow that example. And here we are on Serve Sunday at Branch Life Church. We're talking about different ways you can join a team and serve. And for some of you, you may be like, oh, I can't sign up for one more thing. I'm really only here for the uh, good coffee downstairs, you know, and a little bit of respite. And I like to put my kids in the nursery. And I, don't put me to work on, 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 on Sunday mornings. Don't put me to work during the week. I, I want to join a group where I can just learn stuff. I don't want to join a group where I can give stuff. Listen, then you are, you've got it upside down. Because the way to be great in the kingdom of God is to serve. And what we are giving you is the opportunity not just to, to change diapers, right? We're giving you the opportunity, listen to this, I'm not making it up, to be great. When you serve, you are on the path to greatness, and it's God's greatness. And there are so many benefits to you when you serve that I can't wait to get you signed up. Absolutely. Does it help us when you serve? Sure. But that's a byproduct. It helps you when you serve. It helps you connect. It helps you grow. It helps you uh, do and use your gifts in ways that will bring you joy and peace and connection and, and following in the footsteps of God. Now, maybe serving on one of these teams is not what God's calling you to do. I'm not saying you have to sign up for these teams. What I am saying is you have to use your life for service in order to be great. And so be a regular servant of God. I am blown away when I walk in downstairs in the new cafe area. I, like, I turn the corner, and in the last like, three months, that thing has just gone through this incredible transformation. You know how that's happened? People serving. People serving. Even yesterday, there was just a, a crowds of people that were just doing finishing work so that it would be ready today. And did you, do you know Jane? She's in the second service. Jane's fantastic. You know what Jane has to do because we've been making such a big mess every week? She has to show up on Saturday night every weekend just to make sure it's clean for all of us. And she does it with a smile on her face and a, and a tap. Because I've seen her. She puts music in her ears and she just starts mopping. And she's got a little, little rhythm to it that she, she's mopping at. And she's just so easygoing. And she's just like, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do this. We actually get to hang out more on Saturday nights and getting it ready for you. And she's, why? That's greatness. That's service. And oh, that Branch Life Church would be great because we're filled with great servers. And I think God's calling us to, when we follow this king, we follow this example, we follow his example of serving. I'm, I'm excited about what's next for Branch Life because there are opportunities to serve, some that I've never seen before in a church. As we install deacons and as we install team leaders and as we install new elders over this next year, we're looking for people to take leadership roles on teams like our community service team. That, that team, that deacon would, would just exist to help us serve families that are homeless, to help us connect with organizations that are doing work, good work, to help us feed people that don't have food. 
And we're, we're doing that already, and we're, we're barely accomplishing what we're doing because it's just a couple of us that are, are, are organizing it. Man, if we were able to hand that to some gifted people that were ready to serve, the sky's the limit. We're ready to build teams that are praying on a regular basis and have team leaders that are just covering everything that God is doing in prayer. We, we, we have, I, I can't even tell you, it's like a secret that I wish I could let out, the opportunities that we have been presented in the last week, just in this community, just in this neighborhood, about the future of branch life and the future of being embedded in our community. And in order for that to happen, there's got to be someone who's leading the charge on finances, someone who's leading the charge on, on, on renovations, on future renovations plans. We've got to have teams together that can help us already do what we're trying to do. And, and man, if that happens... That's going to lead to great things. More people deepening their connection with Christ so that we can reach our world. And if, if God continues to raise up servers, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna outgrow this. And we're going to bust at the seams reaching people for Jesus. And so we're going to have to plant more churches. We're going to have to plant more churches in the Philadelphia area. We're going to have to plant more churches in the Northeast. We're going to have to send people overseas so that this can happen again, so that people serving can see Jesus uh, shine bright in their communities and so that people will celebrate and come to him. And it all starts with service. So when we say, hey, it's Team Sunday, would you consider serving? That's not just to help us fill our gaps. That's to help you on your path to greatness because that's who Jesus is. So prayerfully consider that opportunity. Now, the second thing that happens in this moment where Jesus is riding on a king, where the king is riding on a donkey, being hailed by uh, uh, worshipers, is it's demonstrating worshiping King Jesus. This is, this is a king, this is a God who is worthy of our worship. And worship in this moment can be defined like this, submissive celebration. Now, where do we see worship as submissive celebration? You often probably think of worship as like coming together on a Sunday morning. That's, a, that's an expression of our worship. But at the heart of worship, it's simply this, submissive celebration. The crowd, and, and we're going to talk about that in a second. The crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread that. Why cloaks and branches? You have to understand the significance of this. When somebody in Bible times would put their coat down for someone else, that carries meaning. It still carries meaning today, right? If you're out on a date with that girl that you love, right, and it's raining a little bit, and you're coming to the mud puddle, gentlemen, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take your coat off. I, have, have you ever heard of anyone do this? You're supposed to take your coat off, lay it on the pud muddle so that she can step right on it, right, and go across. What happens to your coat? It destroyed right? It's destroyed. Like your coat is now a mess. You, it, you're like, why did I wear my expensive coat outside? Like she just stepped across and I, there's now no, nothing I do. You just gave up your coat for the benefit of that girl. And I hope it was worth it. <laughs> FYI, I throw down all my coats for Jenny because it's totally <laughs> worth it. That's not even a lie. I'm not even trying to get brownie points. She's amazing. But when you throw your coat down for Jesus, it's totally worth it. And what they were showing was a demonstration of submissiveness. I am now giving myself to you. You will walk across my cloak 
and I am now in your submissive servant. I am your humble servant. I am your follower. I am not even worthy for my coat to be tread under your feet. I love you so much. I follow you so much that I'm now submitting my everything to you. And so when they threw their coats down, for Jesus to walk over that, for the, for the donkey's feet to walk over that, they were providing for their king as a submissive servant. Then, when they grabbed palm leaves, that symbolized a totally different posture. See, the palm leaf was a symbol of victory. And so when the Roman emperor would come in, they would wave the palm leaves, they would throw them down so that he could walk across it as a conqueror, so he could walk across it as a victor. And they did something great, they did something amazing, and so these palm leaves were celebration. They got waved, they got thrown on so that they could celebrate Jesus. And so when we worship Jesus, we come with these two postures. Number one says, I'm, I'm, I'm yours, I'm serving you, I'm submitting to you, your will, not mine. And the second posture is a posture of celebration. Yes, God, thank you for coming to save the world. We've accomplished, God, you are so big, you are so great, you're so amazing. You've transformed my heart, you've transformed my world, and we celebrate your resurrection from the dead. We celebrate your great power. We celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate that you're our living hope. And even though we're brothers and sisters are living in subways this week because they're worried about getting bombed by some other Russian president, we know that God is still their living hope. So we celebrate that God. Even when life hurts, that is worship. And that's what was demonstrated in this moment. What did they scream? What did they yell? What did they chant as they were parading with Jesus? They chanted the phrase, Hosanna. This is what Hosanna literally translated means. In other words, this is what they were saying with the word Hosanna. Jesus, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us, we pray, O King. Hosanna is the, the chant of those who are being saved by their Lord and Master. Save us, O Lord. Save us, O Lord. Save us, O Lord. And in the verse, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, O High One. O exalted God. Be our Savior. Now, the crowd, in this moment, thought they were receiving a conquering king and that they were going to be saved from Rome. They were going to be saved from barbarians. They were going to be saved from... Now, God's plan for them was so much greater than a military victory. And he's just beginning to reveal that in this moment. Hosanna? Have you shouted Hosanna to God? Have you asked God to be your savior? Have you followed him in humble submission? Do you celebrate him on a regular basis? Is worship important to you? You see, what we are learning today, and this is what I want you to walk away with, is the value of worship in our lives. And here's what happens when we continually submit ourselves, repeatedly submit ourselves, and repeatedly celebrate God on a weekly basis. When we celebrate God with our lives, when we submit our lives to him, when we worship God, it must lead to worship or witness, excuse me. And when we witness, it leads to worship. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 11. And when he entered Jerusalem, right? And so there's this big worship service following him. The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? 
So if you didn't know what was going on in the city, you were like, what's going on, right? That's like, that's like you, you didn't get the memo from the, from the um, Parks and Recreation Board that the parade route for the fire hall was now just added to your street, and you're sleeping soundly in the morning, and all of a sudden, there's this parade of fire trucks, and it's the new Valentine's Day parade, and they have, they're all blowing whistles, and people are cheering, right? And you wake up, and you're like, what's going on out there? What's happening? You're like, I got to go see this. That's exactly what was going on with people who didn't realize what all the commotion was about. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazarene. Notice what the crowd didn't do. They're following Jesus, shouting Hosanna, and the stranger comes around and goes, what's going on? They didn't go, shh, it's a secret. I'm not allowed to say. Don't tell anybody. But how many of us as Christians live our lives that way? Hey, do you believe in Jesus? I'm not going to go out of my way to put my religion onto you. You do you and I'll do me. Where are you going on Sunday? Oh, I got this thing I got to do, but then I'm having lunch at like Los Aztecas and it's going to be amazing. Well, what about where, where are you going in the morning? I'm going to my church thing, but lunch is going to be awesome. And we try to like avoid the topic. And I say, take one of your invite cards, right? Like grab one of these invite cards and give it to a friend and you're like, <gasps> They would have to know that I go to church. Share the post. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. What if they don't like me after I give them the card? And we are so, so hard-pressed to witness for Jesus that I feel like sometimes we're just ashamed of him. We're just ashamed that we're Christians. We're just embarrassed that we have the, the, a relationship with the Savior of the world. No, no, no. When you worship Jesus, you're going to make such a commotion. You're going to make such a fuss. You're going to look so different and so weird that people are going to come up to you and say, what's going on? And you're going to say, that's my Hosanna. That's my King. That's my Lord. And you should know him too. You should join in the worship too. You should be a follower of Jesus too because he can change the world. He can change you. He's changed me. He can change you. And so when I worship God, when I submit myself to him, when I celebrate to him, I'm not going to be able to stop myself from witnessing for him. That's what true worship leads to. Now, if you come to a worship service every Sunday and you are embarrassed and you don't want to tell, you've got worship wrong. You don't understand it. You don't get it. We are submissively celebrating the Lord of the universe every Sunday morning, and that's the best news ever. But when you come to worship and you're inspired and you're lifted up and you've rested and you're re-energized and you go from this place looking, how can I serve? Who can I reach? Who can I help? Now you understand worship. Now you get it when Jesus says, come to me and everyone who thirsts and I will be your cold cup of water. And you're ready to go give it out to everyone else. You see, here's what happens when we worship. When we worship, we have greater intimacy with God. Now I chose the word intimacy extremely, very intentionally. We have greater intimacy in God. We know him better. We feel his presence. There's a reason that so many worship songs sound like love songs. And I've heard like people make fun of that, but if you're not in love with God, you don't get it. There's an intimacy that you have with him. And when you know that he laid down his life for you so that you could have life more abundant, oh man. You love him because he first loved you. He not only... 
My God who I love, my God who I sing to, my God who I serve, he didn't only save me. He saved my wife. He saved my kids. He's totally transformed everything about who we are. And I adore him for that. I desperately love him and cherish closeness with him. When you worship God, that, that leads to greater prayerfulness. I got to tell him about my problems. I got to tell him about my blessings. I got to tell him about my day. I got to tell him about my people. I got to tell him about my one. When you worship God, that leads to a greater celebration. When you see God do something in your week, again, I got a secret I wish I could blurt out, but it's such a God secret. Like, I just can't wait to jump up and down about it. And I don't even know how it's going to play out. I just know God's incredible. And so when I sing about this faithful, loving, giving God, when I, when I, when I serve him through, through helping other people, when I celebrate him, it just gets a little bit louder after I've seen him work. And when I, when I worship God, it then leads to witness, right? Now here's the greatest, I'm going to use the word disappointment that I face as a pastor. The greatest disappointment that I face as a pastor is witnessless worshipers. Because what is available to you when you witness will take your worship to a whole nother level. Because here's what happens when we witness. We have a greater intimacy with God. Not only do I need him for my life, I need him for my friend's life. I need him for my spouse's life. I need him for my neighbor's life. I need him for the pain that my, that my, my, my co-worker is experiencing. I need him for this world. And when I am trying to show Jesus to someone else, the intimacy that I feel goes to a whole nother level. It becomes way less about me and way more about what God can do for other people. And when I know and I see God do things for other people, now the intimacy is on a whole new level. When you witness, when you're giving God to other people, it causes your prayerfulness to go to a whole new level. Now you are begging God to reveal himself to your loved one that doesn't know him. You're begging God to show you and give you the words to help, you open, to help him open doors that are shut, to unlock doors that are locked. And your prayerfulness now goes to a whole new... You're no longer praying just about yourself. Now you're praying about your friends, family, and the world. When you witness, the celebration is off the chain. That's why we love Baptism Sundays at Branch Life Church. Because there's nothing greater than someone going public with their faith in Jesus. What was dead is now alive. What was lost is now found. Jesus shows up with the one out of the 99 sheep and he walks back into the fold and we say, praise God. Do you know what the greatest celebration in heaven is that happens over and over again right now? The Bible says that the angels celebrate every time someone gets saved. They throw a party when someone prays for salvation and decides to follow Jesus. I just can't wait to be a part of that celebration. And I wish we did it better as a church. Let's celebrate louder. Now, why am I celebrating so much? Because it's not about me anymore. It's now about others who, who I've been able to be a part of their spiritual journey come to Jesus. And when I witness, I have greater worship.
You try not to sing some of these songs after your best friend comes to know Jesus and not to sob. To see what God does when you're standing next to that baptismal pool and it's your spouse that's coming out of those waters. Oh, you're going to worship him like you've never worshiped before. Why am I so disappointed at witnessless worshipers? Because there's so much more for you when you witness. You will grow in your relationship with God in ways that you could never do it absent witness. Deeper, greater, stronger. Witnessing is one of the best ways to grow your faith. That's why Jesus says, go and make disciples. It's as much for the disciples you're making as it is for you. So let's be worshipers who witness. Now, my final question today, and I want to show you this kind of a juxtaposition when Jesus is introduced to the world. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, Circle City, was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds, Circle crowd, said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. There's three groups represented in this story. And today, as we close, I want to ask you simply this question. Where are you in the story? What character do you most identify with? In the story, we have Jesus presenting himself as king. And everybody else falls into one of three categories. In verse 6, we learn about the disciples. The disciples were the people that were gathering the donkeys, that were obeying Jesus' instructions. They were with him from the beginning. They were the closest ones to Jesus. Then a greater number of people known as the crowd began to form and to celebrate Jesus, throwing their coats and the palm breeze. They were looking for the winning victorious king that was going to free them from their political persecution. And then the largest group was the city, the people that didn't know what was going on. And in our spiritual journey, all of us, we start in the city. We're part of the world. We are the world that's just living our lives. And and for so many people, maybe you're here today and you're just seeing information. You're just getting a glimpse about this Jesus guy. And you've, you've heard other people talk about him. You may have even had someone say, giving you the gospel or tell you you should come to church. But maybe you're just kind of asking, what you're asking is, who is this? What's going on? And today, if you're in the crowd and you're just learning about Jesus, what I want you to do is to lean in and get that question answered. Who is Jesus and why does it matter? And and should I make him the king? Should I follow him? Should I become one of his subjects? And, And let me tell you right now that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you come to him and confess your sins and decide to follow Jesus, it will change your life forever. It'll give you life abundant and life eternal. And maybe today's the day where you decide to go from crowd to disciple, to go from city to disciple. And you're going to say, I'm, I'm all in with who Jesus is. But maybe your step is that I'm in the city, but I'm going to explore him with the crowd. I'm going to keep coming back on Sundays. I'm going to maybe be a part of a group. I'm going to have some more conversations. And you see, the crowd are people that are actively learning and celebrating Jesus. There's nothing cooler than worshiping with a huge crowd. Part of what COVID showed us is that uh, we, we can kind of make a, 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 a lot more noise when we're together. <laughs> and there are now just people coming together, and they're starting to worship, and, and they're coming together now in big groups, right? And they're singing for the first time in big groups, and there's just nothing like it. And that's what was happening in this moment. But, but the truth of the matter is not everybody in the crowd is a disciple. And in seven days, this crowd 
is going to disperse. In seven days, this crowd is going to turn on Jesus. In seven days, they're going to go from celebrating him, yelling, Hosanna, save us, to start yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Just because you're in the crowd doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus. And so maybe you've been participating in the conversation of Jesus or the religion of of Jesus or the institution of Christianity for a long time, but you've never put your personal faith and trust in Jesus and say, I'm going to follow him, not a teacher. I'm going to follow him, not a church. I'm going to follow him as king, not myself. And maybe today is the day for you, if you're a part of the crowd, to say, I'm all in no matter what. Today, I want to become a disciple. Today, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm going to follow him to the end of the world, to the end of time. Where are you on this spiritual journey? Today, if it's time for you to say, hey, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Today, if, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, we want to encourage you to go to the gospel tab where you can find more details about, about salvation, about being born again. But if you're ready right here, right now, simply in the quietness of this moment, have this conversation with God who's listening, who's here with us. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus came and he died for me. And I, I confess my sins. Please forgive me. God, I want to follow you. Will you give me the gift of salvation? In these moments, if you pray and confess your sin and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. That in this moment, if you've prayed to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today is the day of your salvation. And what's happening right now is there is a celebration party going on in heaven. The angels are just having an incredible time. So whether you're live in this service, whether you're watching the broadcast online, today can be the moment that changes your life forever if you would just make Jesus king. And for those of you that know Jesus as your own personal Savior, as we think about this series, could I encourage you to fill out the connection card today and let us ask any questions that you may have. Over the course of these eight weeks, we're going to work at answering your specific questions because there's so much content that we're going to cover. We might do a podcast or live stream videos or, or go deeper on a Sunday night. But your questions matter to us, and you can ask your questions on these cards. You can give us prayer requests on these cards, and you can let us know on these cards if today you've decided to follow Jesus, if you're ready to get baptized, if you'd like to become a member, whatever your next step is. But how can we pray for you as you pray for a deeper connection with Jesus? Can we do this better together? And our team of prayers will pray through, the, through your requests all through this week. So don't leave today until you've filled out your connection card. If you're watching online, you can fill that out at branchlife.church at any time. Join us again next week as we go into day two, the day the tables turned. Hey, thanks for sticking all the way through the end. We hope that those lessons that we talked about will be encouragement to you. We want to invite you back next time as we go to the next day that changed the world. And if you're interested in digging deeper or connecting more, we've got a special gift for you while supplies last. If you fill out your connection card and let us know that you'd like these Matthew journals, we will gladly send one to you. Don't forget to fill that out online before you log off. We'll see you next time.